Hello, my name is Hazel Rowe from Eames Consulting and welcome to another episode of Inside the Auditorium. My next guest has been a leader within the investment management space for internal audit, working for leaders in the industry such as Standard, Aberdeen and Legal in general. Moving all the way from Scotland to London to pursue his career in internal audit, Scott Stratton gives great insight on his career and what makes a good auditor. Please enjoy. Hello, Scott. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, as you're working within the investment management um, industry at the moment for legal and general um, as the head of audit, um, I wonder if you could sort of tell me a little bit about that role um, in terms of what you're doing and what you're auditing now. Cool. Thanks, Hazel. And uh, thank you for the invite to be on. Um, so, yes, I'm the head of audit for legal and general investment management, looking after the 1.2 trillion asset manager for the LNG group, um, among other things, but that's my main main sort of focus. Um, so what does that involve? So annually designing a plan, a risk-based plan that kind of gives that assurance right up to the group's audit committee. Uh, and obviously as a big asset manager, UK's largest, um, quite a vast um, coverage in terms of what we do, not just the investment management, but all the plumbing that goes with that and the operations piece and HR and legal services. And it's got a bit of a global footprint to it as well. So it's not, it's predominantly UK, but we have got um, setups in Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, US, and, and some distribution offices across Europe. So yeah, quite a, an extensive program of work to be done in the year. And in terms of, um, we're going to more of sort of the investment management piece about the risk around that um, later, but within your career, you've ducked in and out of external audit. So I know that you started at PwC, then you went to um, Aberdeen, KPMG, legal, and then legal in general, you know, coming from an internal and external background, um, what do you see as the biggest difference Yeah, yeah, it's been, I guess I'm getting on a bit. Uh, it's been a few years now. Um, so I've been in internal audit since 99, sorry, and financial services internal audit since 99. I actually started out and got my qualification with the Institute of Chartered Accounts of Scotland, at which time I actually worked with Coopers Lybrand. So before PwC, before the merger, Pricewaterhouse and Coopers Lybrand. Uh, and yeah, I was very much entrenched in external audit at that point. And then we opened an office in Inverness and we got access to some internal audit client work with the National Health Service and further education. And again, it was just a nice sort of place to pivot and, and sort of grow the office. Uh, and I sort of went in that direction towards internal audit. What, what's the major difference? I mean, it's, it's changed so much over the years. I mean, it, it, it wasn't seen as a strong relative back in the day. Um, it was very much seen as, I remember a partner at the very first firm I joined, a small firm in Inverness, that said, oh, don't go to internal audit. It's just, there's nothing going on in that space. It's not where, it's not the future sort of thing. And here I am several years later and, and very happy to be in this space. I think it's a, a great place to be. So the main difference, I guess, is the breadth of focus. I mean, I, mean, I look at everything within that asset manager and it, and it is everything, you know, from 
how we're writing up policies around AI through to how an investment desk transacts on behalf of customers. I mean, it's just so broad. Whereas the financial services or the external audit side of things, you know, you are focused on true and fair view and the P&L and balance sheet. And it's all more so number based. Uh, you do look into some of the control environment pieces, but not, not as extensively as an internal auditor would. So that, that that's what I'd see as the main difference, I guess. Okay. And and where do you see then the biggest impact in, in terms of what's happening in, in the world at the moment, in terms of investment management? Where do you think sort of the biggest risks are at the moment? Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, I'm actually penning an introduction for the Scottish um, Institute of Internal Audit Conference, which starts on Wednesday. And and as part of my introduction, I'm kind of trying to reflect on, you know, change and the challenges we face. And, and I want to start by saying challenge has always been there. I've, I've chaired the conference three times way back in time. I was the chair of the conference uh, for the committee. Uh, and, and change has always been a consistent. It's just where it is now, uh, and if I could find my notes on it, uh, yeah, it's it's the so five five mega trends as I see it. So climate, obviously, a massive impact on all our businesses. Technical disruption, I mentioned AI earlier, but many other forms of technical disruption. Demographic shift, you know, what does that mean for our customer base and and the services we provide, and and again, all services, different industries. A fracturing world, you know, we're split across the geography and, you know, many different pressures and influences on that. So it's, I've got written it down from notes I have about it being a fracturing world. And then social instability. And and it's, so, so their change and change has been around forever. I guess what I sort of summarise in my notes is it's the scope, impact, interdependency and speed of all these that's creating a risk complexity that arguably we've never seen before. So, so you know, that, that sets a massive scene of where we are, all the challenges we face. Then you bring that into the day-to-day, the business as usual operations. How does that affect people? What does it do to the skills of the workforce and the need to pivot in some areas? Just masses of pressures. The regulator has to respond to that world we're living in. Lots more regu- regulation in the pipeline. So, yeah, it's just never ending. Um, so, a massive, massive risk landscape that we have to face into. And as third line, try and try and find and help the business find a path through that and give assurance around it. Sure. And and so in terms of um you know invest investment management and, and sort of COVID then, what what's sort of been the impact of that that you think that um you know has has been more risk that you've got to highlight. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. COVID, it's it's not out of memories yet, um, and it definitely was a significant impact um, in terms of the team. You know, just moving and pivoting away from that sort of four or five days in the office to something a bit more flexible. You know, upsides to that, downsides to it. How do we enact controls that naturally feel more? auditable in a work environment, much easier to see. Um, so we, we've, as an mm-hmm. audit function, done some pieces of work around, you know, what has been the impact of COVID in terms of that risk and control environment. So again, it, it's almost to that point about,
about what's the difference between external audit and internal audit. We, we're thinking about things like that. We're having to do papers, insight papers to the board on, you know, what has been the impact on the business as usual controls and, you know, really insightful work. So, so it's definitely been impactful. Um, and again, I'm, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So for me, we, we're smart. People are smart, we're, we're adaptive, we're innovative. So we've kind of found the right path through it. Um, we've, we've, we've faced into the challenges and we've come out the other end. And I think we continue to sort of grow and strive. Different organizations, different impacts, right? But um, again, I think everybody's finding the path that's appropriate to them through it. And, and, and internal audit are a big part of, of that journey. Sure. I'd, I'd like to probably hear a little bit more in terms of um, when when people are, ha- are having to work from home and, and, and maybe around confidential data and, um, you know, could, could you sort of share a little bit more on, on how you how you went around that? Yeah, I mean, it's more in the domain of my uh, esteemed IT colleagues. But yeah, I mean, these these are things that were under the magnifying glass. How how do we maintain confidentiality? How do we actually just monitor people working and and how they're working, what they're working on, how they're securing data that they'll be tapping into in, in the work parameters at the home you know what's the sort of this security around setup and such like so again very much designed from a technical perspective but checked by internal audit to make sure there's no sort of breaches or, or breakdowns in that sort of confidentiality and, and security aspect and again most organizations were attuned to the risk and therefore you know ready to adapt and, and develop what they needed to develop to make sure there was no breach of customer information, private data, um, security. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've done a number of pieces of work, even up to COVID, but after COVID around cyber mm. and that, that whole security piece and uh, GDPR, obviously, the implications of personal data and such like. So, yeah, the, the plan's ever-evolving. I mean, we have to pivot to wherever the risk is, just as the business does, and we have to go with the business sometimes, and we actually have to lead the business sometimes. It's sometimes our independent and fresh insight that gives people that steer off where we should be looking. So um, it, it's just complex. It's, it's hugely complex. And, you know, again, I think we're skilled up and, you know, really commercially aware to make sure we think about all the, the challenges that are ahead and whatever happens in society. Sure. And and so therefore then with, um, you know, in, in terms of what's happening now with um, interest rates and uh, people's savings and uh, mortgages and things like that. And and where, where do you think sort of the potential risks are going to be um, for, for your business um, next year or for the investment management space? Yeah. So we're, we're just finishing off prep for the 24 plan and and one of the big themes that we've tried to apply into our thinking on risk is that volatility that's coming from that sort of economic landscape um as you say high interest rates what's that what does that do to asset management um 
We've got other parts of the business where that interest rate really impacts you, the end customer, and therefore the product we sell into them. We do housing, you know. So again, affordability is a big thing, and so so we've got different pockets of the business that are affected differently by by that economic landscape. But massive influence into our risk thinking. We've got to think: what does it do to product, the designer product, the the product we deliver to customers? How do we make sure the customer uh, is can can afford the product and 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 understands the nuances to the product. So again, it's not any different to anything pre the economic landscape we're having. You know, we always had to think about the customer, the appropriateness of product, but it's just in a heightened state because it brings so much volatility. And obviously we're managing all kinds of asset classes. Some will benefit from high interest rates, some not not so much so. So again, we have to be mindful of that and, and think about when interest rates are at the sort of high they are. What does that do to some of our products? And credit risk is a massive example. Market risk, another big example of something we have to be very fluid to in terms of the impact on what we do and, and how it is received and needed by our customers. Sure, sure. And, and in terms of um, the, the teams that you've managed in, in the past on with regards to investment management, they're very um, sort of funds focused on the business side. Do you, do you feel then the role of the internal auditor is changing? Is it, is it becoming... Because normally the, the IA teams can be quite smaller in investment management firms than, let's say, a big bank, for an example. Um, do, you, do you find then that the skill sets are going to have to be more siloed into credit or market risk or what have you when you're looking for that next candidate? Yeah, yes and no. Um I mean, our model is to have sort of SME in all levels of our organisation internal audit wise. So we are definitely hiring high, um, and and that SME comes across the whole investment sector. So definitely got SMEs in the investment space, understanding how a desk manages portfolios and, and, and client money. We've got ops experts, so people that understand the technical and, and administration middle office aspects. So, so that's, again, always been there, but that bar just continues to get higher. To be the best internal audit function, you've just got to really set the bar high on that. We, we I mean, we constantly go through recruitment. And, and I, I know when I joined LNG, so some seven years ago, I came in with a bit of that attitude of, off, you know what, I'm going out to the market. I know often the market doesn't produce the best people directly to me. The, the best people are often in situ and, and comfortable where they are. But in that attitude, I kind of thought, right, well, I'll take the best of what I see. And, and actually what I've learned at LNG is, no, you know, if you don't feel you've got the right person, stop, keep trying different avenues, use co-source support until you do get that best person. Uh, and a massive lesson I've learned in the last seven years of, you know, be patient. Don't be scared by the fact you're sitting trying to deliver a plan to an audit committee and you've got gaps in your team. Um, there's ways of shoring that up. There's ways of flexing the plan slightly, you know, deferring the risk over a quarter into next year is never going to break anybody. Um, so you've got you've got levers to pull to make sure you, you don't compromise the quality. Um, but the skill set is, is enhancing. You know, we're in a technological disruptive world. We, we are doing 
extensive work around data analytics. That's a brand new skill uh, and various levels of it were, again, fairly strategic in terms of how we're tackling that. We have that central data analytics team that can support us, but actually we want all our auditors to have the sort of hypothesis sinking. They're the SMEs, so they're the ones that can say, I think this is where the risk is. The data guy could then go and get the data set and pull it together for you, but without the hypothesis thinking, you know, you're, you're not going to be looking in the right spaces. So, again, data analytics is a skill set that's, you know, over the last five years, definitely new. Artificial intelligence, you know, we're going to have to think about that. Um, and, and just that commercial thinking and that almost some of the soft skills as well that I kind of major on, be curious. You know, people that want to sit and, and kind of go through a process and, and not contribute to it, not good enough. We need to be curious. We need to have that sort of commercial thinking and understanding. You know, I always try and take my team into sessions and just say, right, interest rates have just gone up again. What do we think of that? And and just get everybody in the team engaged. So engagement, curiosity, technical skills, yes, fundamental, hence the SME model. But don't, don't, don't take second best. You know, you have got ways of getting levers pulled around co-source where you can tap into, you know, um, big four firms and more and, and get people that are really specialist in the areas that you might be looking to focus on. So it's it's always evolving, but, you know, um, a healthy challenge, I guess. Uh, it's not, not prohibitive. So I, you know, in terms of you, when you say you're, you're, you'd rather wait for the right candidate in 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 today's market, then what 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 do you think which is the biggest skill that lacks within an an internal auditor when when you're interviewing or you're meeting people? That's a very good question. What's the biggest skill missing? Yeah, I don't think I've ever really struggled getting the technical piece, the SME piece. There's there's lots of good auditors out there that really understand the pockets that they've been applied to in their, their careers thus far. I'm, I'm a sucker for the soft skills. I'm a sucker for that be curious, that commercial awareness. Uh, and, and trying to draw that out in that artificial interview setting can be quite hard. You know, people are nervous and I try and be as relaxed and calming as possible and get people to open up to see if I can see that little spark. You, you may want to call it the X factor. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely soft. It's definitely gravitas. It's definitely curiosity. Mm. Um, do I see that when I interview? I don't see it a lot. Um, and and that does come with experience. I get it. You know, we're we're hiring at all grades, and it's better at the sort of more senior grade than it is at the junior grade. But it's still, still a tough one to draw out. Um, so I, I'm all for that. I think that's if I can put a team together. Yes, the technical I think is dead mm. easy, as I said at the start. But the people that can really bring that curiosity, that challenge, that gravitas, that credibility, that's something quite different. And 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 that's grown over time that's about a personal professionalism dignity almost um that you bring to the the job and, and you've got to love what you do right i think it also comes with actually enjoying what you do not seen as a bit it as a bit of a chore and do you think that that's more lost in in the younger generation that are sort of have grown up more in a tech world that yeah 
Yeah, it's a re- really good question. We're having a debate just now about we do a, a an annual, no, sorry, a semi-annual voice survey in the business uh, to gauge what people's sentiments are and what they're thinking and do they feel included and can they speak out and all that. And, and you know, there's some scores that we just can't. They're not, they're not bad scores, but they're just always at the low end of what we'd like to see. And we've kind of debated, we've thrown loads of different techniques at trying to move the scores up. But actually, one of the reflections we just had recently was we're dealing with a different generation. How I think about teamwork and leadership is very different from what Gen Z thinks of what leadership and team, team, mm. teamwork's all about. Um, they're, they're all about the inclusive, they're all about flexibility, and that, that's all fine. That has a place in, in modern workforce, but actually it's just the techniques you as a sort of seasoned baby boomer or whatever has against the Gen Z. You've just got to be very adaptive to different needs and pivot some of your what you think are the traditional mm. styles. So um, it, it's an interesting challenge. It's a, another part of the big complex landscape that we, we weave. Sure. How, how do you balance that then? Uh, so again, it comes back to being strong with the recruitment. You know, you've you've got to stay honest in the market and and make sure you you think about that. You you don't just want the technical skills. That's that's not what the landscape needs at the moment or, or going into the future. So persevere. You know, keep looking. The the people are out there. Make sure you understand your offering to the candidates and what they get from you. Um, that That's hugely important. Again, setting out that expectation. Um, and, and it is about, as a sort of head of a department, thankfully I'm not sort of managing too many people. We're we are one of those very lean teams, but, you know, absolutely 100% in terms of what our role is and what we deliver in terms of an opinion. Yeah. But it's about me just managing that, making sure I have a, a very diverse and inclusive environment, a safe environment, and, and I bring out the best in everybody and, and ensure I try and get the best across the board. And it is just a balancing act, you're right. There's some people in my team that, you know, we've got um, development programs and we've got talent assessment programs. And there's some people that just sit in that box that, you know, don't give them people to manage, just give them the technical stuff and they'll knock it out of the park. There's others that absolutely want the people management, have great skills in that space. So again, I just have to look at my team and make sure there's no exposure in any one of those uh, areas and there's many of them. That's just two as an example. Yeah. And do you think, though, that, you know, as, as you say, that the, the, the learning of the product is very easy? Do, do you think it's um, quite easy to teach people ha- how to be curious and, and speak to senior stakeholders? And because essentially, you know, is, that is great. what it is about now, right? Yeah, great, great question. And, and the answer is, I don't think it's easy. <laughs> okay and um so tell me that just you mentioned earlier on um that, that you do quite a lot with the chartered institute of internal auditors on the scottish committee um 
obviously you're you're based in London now and you you used to be based in Scotland and you actually moved to London quite late in your career if I can say that um could you maybe tell us sort of why you moved from um from Scotland and tell us about the work that you do get involved with the IIA as well please yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't designed, I guess. I mean, I worked with Aberdeen Asset Management for a, an awful long time, sixteen years, and and you know what, that took me into London um, extensively. I was down in London two, three days a week. Uh, our sort of main fund management office was in uh, London, uh, and that was my patch again. So um, had to be down in London a lot. Then kind of um, came to the end with the, the Aberdeen sixteen years, and looked around, and and it. The job that came up was with KPMG. I looked at a couple of things. I looked at something in Switzerland, uh, but KPMG seemed like the right move. That was actually based in Edinburgh, but again, the ask from KPMG was to be four days a week in London. That's where the sort of fund management uh, client base was. So so I've never not been in London, but then as part of the KPMG thing, I eventually just made the move and it, it really solidified with the move to LNG. You know, that that's, you know, London-based predominantly, had to be here. Um, so moved down, um, got the fright of my life when I saw the prices of things, but hey-ho, um, I, I was quite familiar with it given, uh, as I say, I was in London quite a lot anyway. Uh, and it's good. It's just, I think it's a good thing for the CV. I think it's got an energy and a, a, a population to it that, you know, your eyes are open. There's more forums and such like. But, but and, and I've stayed connected with Institute, both in Scotland and London. So back in Scotland, I joined, I came on the committee, the Scottish committee. I was part of organising the Scottish conference that I mentioned earlier. I'm preparing to chair the conference this year. This will be my third year chairing it. Love staying connected back to the homeland. It's, you know, it's where the heart is and all that. And, and I know the population. I know a lot of the people at the conference and there's something nice and comfortable about that. And, mm. and I actually just i think given the people i've worked for you know i think i think there's some knowledge and insight and and the c- committee and the, the speakers we put together bring an awful <laughs> lot of insight to that internal audit population um, both public sector and private sector so great to be still involved in that really honored to be invited back to to host the conference again this year and even down in the London area uh, going along to the national conference, staying hooked into a number of the people at the institute and, and some of the initiatives they're running. Sometimes they come to Legal in General and look for you know, insight or guidance or support. And again, we don't always jump on everything, but very happy to be involved in things that, you know, shape the, the direction yeah. of the industry. Um, so yeah, massively important part of being an auditor, I think, you know, there's your central professional body that's issuing technical guidance and kind of debating the challenges for internal audit going forward. And that's hugely important to be part of. Um, and they do a great job, a very challenging job, because, again, they're trying to tell the internal audit story across all sectors. Uh, and, and that can be quite challenging. But no, great to be part of it. And as I say, great to be back at uh, the Scottish Conference this week, later this week. 
Could, could you maybe explain some of the um, the initiatives? Because I noticed that there's quite a lot of young um, young graduates, and and there's quite a lot of apprentice schemes in audit. Um, you know that companies are doing now, um, and they possibly wouldn't necessarily think about joining the IIA um, and would maybe go more for an accounting qualification. Maybe you could elaborate in terms of sort of some of the initiatives that they do. Yeah, good question, Hazel. Um, so, so I think the challenge has been for the institute trying to get that awareness up. You know, so as you say, that that tends to fall into the institute uh, um, chartered accountants. You know, it's just a natural route. It's, it's a more well trodden path. But you know, in in the years that I've been involved, the, the the investment and effort that's gone into building that technical training around what is being a, an internal auditor that that that's significant now, and that that you know that's out there in the marketplace where we we collaborate with all different professional bodies to sort of lean into and support other qualifications and have it more recognised. So you know, as a young person coming in, and I would go right back to, you know. The, the coverage, that, that fundamental question of external audit versus internal audit, the coverage I have, the exposure I have to the business, one of the anecdotes that I always reel out is in my last job at Aberdeen, I would often just get called to the CEO's office and he was a very direct man, wonderful chap. And he, he would look to me for the insight on what's going on in his business, you know, whether it be in Singapore or in the US or in the Germany office, because he knew I covered everything. I, I had to have a total lens on the business. Now, all, I didn't always audit every part of the business, but over a cycle, I would definitely have that knowledge and, you know, had to be curious back to the point I made. So he would come to me for that insight. And, and you know, I find that hugely gratifying because it kind of puts you at top table, your opinions heard, respected, etc. So for all those sort of grads that are out there thinking, oh, well, I don't know much about internal audit. Trust me, it's the one place where you'll get coverage, you'll get technical development in your CV like no other. And if you can bring those soft skills to the technical skills, we can all learn the technical skills. You know, there's textbooks out there that that can chapter and verse give you that. But if you can balance that and, and specialize in an area that just, you know, you're good at with the soft skills, the curiosity, the commercial think, internal audit is probably the best landscape because you just get that breadth of exposure. Lots of heads of internal audit go into non-executive roles. Lots of heads of audit go into uh, C-suite roles. It, it really is a an increasingly good landing ground for a, a really promising future career. So, so, so don't bypass the institute. They've, they've got all the training embedded at various levels, um, lots of training, lots of conferences where they bring people together to give insight and knowledge, um, lots of stuff going on. Um, so keep, keep, keep open to it. I have noticed as well that, um, and I, I don't know whether you see this to be true or not as well, but over over time, I'd probably say the last five years, well, over time, um, within the insurance industry, quite a lot of the C-suite roles um, are attracting more people from the banking world. Why do you think that is? So, so if, if you take a very high level view, I think banking has been under the regulatory sort of lens for a long time. And, and, and that often means you just develop, pivot, grow, change, 
yeah, develops probably the right word. So, so banking is ahead generally in terms of you know that regulatory insight and that understanding of processes and the technical advancements that come into business as usual process. So they're, they're kind of leading. Insurance asset management definitely behind the curve, but you know are looking to go on the same path. The regulators are getting smarter to those sectors of the industry to skill up and, and, and improve processes and risk management. So it feels very natural for the banking people who have been through the loop to come into our world and bring that insight and experience with them. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's the predominant effect in, in terms of that move from banking into insurance and asset management. It doesn't always work, but uh, sure, it definitely sure. on paper has the right makings <laughs> of growing. <laughs> All right, fantastic. And and you mentioned earlier on about diversity. Um, you know, in terms of how, how are you guys measuring or, or working towards that at the moment? So for a long time, the group I means it's a big group, um, and and a lot of people very engaged in in all aspects of working life, and and a lot of that is about the softer stuff again, the networking side of the business. Very diverse population in the company, and you know, very much sponsored into making sure that that sort of diversity inclusion is very broadly signposted in the business so we've got all kinds of groups around socioeconomic mobility neurodiversity we have something called the elgium culture club which kind of throws events celebrating different cultures it wasn't so long ago i donned the kilt uh, and recited some of robbie burns poetry to the haggis being piped into the room just to again celebrate cultures right and and that was one of many that we've done um so lots going on, neurodiversity, you know, I've got family members who are diagnosed autistic and ADHD and, you know, we go through struggles when we don't have um, those those uh, diagnosis and, you know, spreading awareness, speaking to others that are in the same boat as you, hugely important and I find it hugely satisfying, gratifying in terms of the, the communities that are within LNG to, to yeah, increase awareness, understand, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I get heavily involved in a few of those forums and, and make sure I'm on the committees to understand what we're doing. The other one that I love is going into schools. You know, and I, I've been on many where you go into schools and you've got a population of school kids that are sitting there confused about what their future is, confused what they want to do, and, and actually kind of see our industry, the financial services, is above them. You know, oh, asset managers. I don't even know what an asset manager is, but oh, they get paid a lot and, you know, they go through university and all that sort of stuff. But actually what we what we do, and, and we did it brilliantly recently, we got a, a cross-section of the business, people that have come from very humble beginnings, and I put myself in that. You know, I was a daft laddie from Dundee in Scotland and um, worked hard and got the right breaks and stuff. And just we, we just talked to them. We just told them about our journey. We told them about financial services and its diversity. You know, it's not just asset managers. We need the coffee shop people. We need people that look after the IT systems. We've got 
HR people covering all aspects of people. Um, there's so much diversity of offering in terms of roles in the industry. Uh, and, you know, we have to uh, sort of embrace that and then bring good people and people that, you know, have skills that they just don't know yet. And we can obviously harness and, and promote and develop. Um, and that, yeah. that's usually rewarding because if you get one kid coming out of that group and saying, oh, actually, I know a bit more about asset management now or financial services, and they start going down the path. We've got work experience programs, graduate programs, and, you know, the flow through that. We always take a graduate into our, our team. Um, some have stuck, some move on. Uh, it's just great to see that youth coming through and getting an opportunity. And, and, you know, why mm. why wouldn't we want to help that that pipeline, as it were? Uh, usually rewarding. Sure. Because when you started your bachelor's degree then in, in accountancy, was yep. was you looking to be an internal auditor or, or why did you take that degree? <laughs> Yeah, so I wasn't looking to be an internal audit. I was probably one of those kids that thought, what is internal audit, if I'm brutally honest. I, t I took the degree. I'd, I'd always had a sort of leaning to numbers. Um, I enjoyed accountancy at school. I got good grades. My mum was a, an accountant, so there was a natural draw there. Uh, in the summer, I used to work in her office and, you know, do tea accounts and, and such like for little businesses. And it was it was fascinating. And that, that fundamental of T accounts is something I still use today. If I've got like a complex transaction going on in my life, I'll just draw little T accounts and work out where the debits and credits are. Huge, 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 hugely fundamental to that that sort of accountancy world. Um, so yeah, got into accountancy. Then, as I say, I had that partner at an accountancy firm when I was doing external audit. Said, "Ah, oh, internal audit doesn't have a future. Don't don't go that way." And and I wasn't rebellious. I didn't seek it out just because he said that, but. It's all, it rings in my ears because, you know, my, my career has blossomed. 16 wonderful years with Aberdeen were totally empowered. I was curious. I was at the top table. I wanted to make a difference. And I, I, I learned to understand the business and bring some insight and challenge into that. And that was it. I went straight into that. We'd done some internal audit work in public sector that whet my appetite, uh, pivoted into financial services again, no no real preordained route that wasn't a plan it was just that's where the opportunity came but yeah haven't looked back I mean it's been an incredible career and, um, yeah that, that's kind of what drove me to where I am. Do, do you think then that the situation's changed that people are more youngsters are more more in aware of internal audit now because yeah, do you think, because nobody would think about going I into hope a career, so. so what do you think companies could do to... Yeah, so, mm. so companies should certainly celebrate their internal audit function. As I say, I know my old CEO was a massive fan of coming to me to get the, the real read on the business. Uh, that's that's hugely empowering. And, you know, it wasn't just me. I would lean into my team and say, what's mm. happening out in Singapore? What's happening here? Tell me. So everybody was part of that journey. I think the Institute's doing a lot of advocacy, uh, connecting into the right universities and promoting the, the qualification. I think 
people like myself and and you know other heads of audit and other people in internal audit teams tell the story you know we're, we're doing it because we love it uh, predominantly and and you know tell people about that get engaged with your organizations and the work to do to go into underprivileged underprivileged schools and, and spread the message um the opportunities that the and and again you have to be brave you have to be curious you have to want to sort of say I've I've learned something here. I've I've definitely grown as a person uh, and a technical, you know, auditor kind of thing. I, I want to share that. That that's not mine to retain. That's not my legacy. I want to pass it on, sort of thing. Um, so loads going on. I I hope. We're out there as much as we can be. Uh, as I say, I think there's loads of good work being done. There's always more. Um, but yeah, maybe something like this will be a good promotion of the opportunities that could be ahead in, in financial services generally so. and internal audit. Yeah, I hope so too, Hazel. It's, it's yeah. a great initiative. I um, Yeah, I, I just, it, it's funny because even when I talk to my friends or whoever, they still don't understand yeah. how diverse internal audit is and, and how different everybody yeah. is in terms of each, you know, discipline. Okay, all right, that's great. And so I suppose if we can just finish off with a quick fire round, which I've been doing with Good. everybody. Good, I hope I can be um, quick. <laughs> so if you can just tell me one piece of technology that you can't live without. Oh, one piece of technology. Oh, it's got to be the mobile, isn't it? It's got to be the iPhone 12 or 14 or whatever I'm on just now. Yeah, just I, I hate myself for it a little bit, but can't live without it. <laughs> and and what are you reading right now? Reading right now, not a massive reader actually. I'm I'm t- I'm too engaged with people. Uh, I want to sit in cafes and watch the world go by. Um, so actually, I've not got a book at hand at the moment. Um, I've had some good reads in the past, but nothing live at the moment. Sure. And uh, do you listen to a lot of podcasts now then? If you're I, I your do. Brain? My wife, bless her, is a social influencer and is, is now getting into the podcast world and that's opened my eyes to what, what's out there. I love TED Talks, for example, as a, a bit of a pivot from that. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of clever people saying lots of clever things, right? And that's, that's a good way of learning as well instead of a book for me. Uh, I feel more engaged and connected to it. Sure. And what, what's a company? Uh, tell me a company you admire a lot. A company I admire a lot. I, 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 had, I had a brilliant 16 years with Aberdeen Asset Management. It's, it's very different from when I left it. It's gone through acquisitions and name changes and stuff. But actually, I still think there's probably at the heart of it a cultural thing that you know, I, I, I have seen and understood and uh, it was wonderful for me. A great, great 16 years. So, yeah, still a massive fan of Aberdeen um, and its current guys, its initials as opposed to its full name. <laughs> and tell me, what's the best thing about working in internal audit? So it comes back to that diversity of looking. Um, I, I see everything in the business. I have to, I don't have to be an expert in everything, but I certainly have to have a feel for it. Uh, and that takes me into, in our world, Japan, Hong Kong, we've just opened an office in Singapore. And I need to understand that at a high level and be curious about what we're doing out there, how it connects back to the mothership. Um, so diversity. Uh, and again, I think if, if you're in the right organisation that really understands internal audit as the third line and understands my role of independence and such like, you're at the top table. 
you really do have a voice uh, and as long as you've got the credibility technical skills and 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 that je ne sais quoi to go with it you know people will listen i can be provocative i don't always have to have the facts um i may have to go and get them but i can certainly put my feeling out there uh, and that that that's hugely hugely satisfying Right. And lastly, would you, if you wasn't an internal auditor, what, what career would you have? So I was at karaoke on Thursday last week, so I'm going to say a <laughs> chart-topping singer. Uh, I certainly thought so in the evening. Um, no, seriously, what would I be if I wasn't an internal auditor? And I wouldn't want to say I was destined to be an internal auditor. I don't know. I'm, I'm quite creative. Uh, photography I did for a while, and I quite enjoy photography. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's go photography. I'm, 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 I've got a good eye for a good picture. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, look, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great speaking with you. And, um, yeah, we we'll look forward you to um, having you as a guest again. Yeah.